Welcome to Nowhere Close to Famous, where we have extraordinary conversations with ordinary people. I'm your host, Josh Story, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Brooke Seal. Hey, people. And we have a great episode for you today. We get to sit down with our friend, Ronnie Mosley. Uh, Ronnie works in real estate, but he also has this incredible gig as a humanitarian photographer who gets flown all over the world to take uh, just the most incredible photos. And so uh, we got to have a really, I thought, honest, deep conversation about how that came, came about. And to be completely honest, I feel like it's a little heavier than most of our normal conversations. Mm, I would have to agree. And I think... I don't regret that at all. I'm no, actually no, no. really excited for people to hear it. I remember when we actually got to sit down with Ronnie um, and we walked out of that interview after he left and he's such a sweet and humble guy. And I remember just being so moved and so touched and we walked out of that and said, man, this one's going to be different. Yeah. And I'm so excited for people to hear it. He shared so vulnerably and it was so intimate and he was so kind and compassionate and you can tell what he cares about. And he just shared his story of heartbreak and faith and seeing things align. And and he's a great storyteller, too. And so I was so honored and privileged as someone who had never met him before that he shared the way he did and that he's allowing us to share it with each of you. So I hope you listen. I hope it's a blessing to you. um, And I hope you enjoy it as much as as I did. Yeah, totally. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Ronnie Mosley. So, a fun fact before we start, we are uh, we, we are an international podcast. Oh, we have uh, we are listened to in ten different countries. So we haven't been in as many countries as you have. Yeah, so we're still catching up. Yeah, with, we're you on know, our way though. Uh, but yeah, we, we have some. We're really big in Europe. Yeah, um, Europeans love us. Yeah, yeah, just just thriving in Europe. Um, but anyway, all right, Ronnie, welcome to the podcast. Excited to have you here. Yeah. Uh, we've been looking forward to this for a long time. I, uh, For those uh, that don't know, Ronnie and I have been friends for a while, and we get to have coffee here in town every so often, and so uh, just excited for others to experience the, the fun times that you and I have. So starting off, you know, we, we really became close after my dad passed away, which we'll talk about um, in a moment, uh, but you've lived so much life over the years. Um, tell us a little bit starting off of kind of where where you're from, how you got here. Uh, tell us a little bit about Ronnie Mosley. All right. Thank you, Josh. And it's good to be here. Congratulations on your podcast. Thank I, you. I'm one of your biggest fans already. <laughs> so it's, it's nice to be here. Yeah. yeah um, some of this you might not know, but I uh, have only lived in Fort Worth, even though I've traveled all over the world. Okay. I was born and raised in Fort Worth. I was the youngest of five children. Oh, wow. Um, my father was a minister at little small churches uh, that ranged from Cleburne to Haltom City to, uh, you know, it's kind of the, those kind of churches where they have the boards up behind the platform and they change the numbers <laughs> every week. The Sunday school numbers. What the offering was and how the yeah. attendance. And usually it was not over 30. Yeah. And that includes his seven-person family. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, it, was, it was that kind of background. Um, there's really no fancy way to put it. We were poor. Okay. <laughs> and that's how we grew up. Yeah. Uh, I never had my own bedroom until I was uh, a teenager, and my older brothers and sisters, enough of them had moved out, yeah. and uh, um, our meals were seldom together. Uh, it was just kind of a hodgepodge of whatever was cooking on the back of the stove. Yeah. You'd go by and grab something when you could, and uh, uh, yeah, that's kind of what uh, what it was like growing up. That's were there awesome. usually um, a lot of other people around since he was a minister and had, was it several smaller churches? I, was it... Were there other people in your home a lot, or was it very just family oriented and just kind of you and your siblings and your parents? We did. We get we had we were exposed to a lot of different people and cultures, and uh, 
a lot of experiences growing up. My dad's um, um, heart was to help, even though we were poor, yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't help people who were poorer. Yeah. And uh, we would have a little, we, he was one of the first with the bus ministry, you know, back in the, I don't know what years it was, but there was a big yeah. move in the bus ministry. But we joke around, we had the first one with a little VW bus and somehow we'd pack 17 or 18 uh, kids into it from a uh, impoverished area at that time out in Blue Mound. And we would bring them to church and feed them. And I remember uh, those days very well with my dad. That's awesome. So I, I don't know why this has never come up, but I had no, I had no idea that your dad was a pastor. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. What um, I think there's a lot of stigma and stereotype about pastor's kids and what it's like mm. growing up in the church. And I think the typical, I guess, stereotype is that the pastor's kids are really quick to walk away from their faith. And obviously you have a very strong faith. Did growing up in a pastor's home, did that strengthen your faith or did it hinder it? Or like, what was that process like? Uh, well, I think it was complicated yeah. um, it, for me uh, growing up. I do remember, um, I think the most impactful part of the ministry that my dad did was was to uh, minister to these children who were poor and mm. in need. And uh, I still remember a little boy named Jimmy Brumbelow that uh, one of the things I did in our um, under my father's preaching was to learn the Romans road. Okay, yeah. And I think I was like seven years old when yeah. I led little Jimmy Brumbelow uh, to a faith in Jesus wow. uh, through the Romans road. Yeah. And so that stands out in my mind uh, really well. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So you're in real estate now, vocationally. Um, how did that journey take place? Wow. Well, I don't mean to keep going back so far, but no. yes, uh, when I was uh, very young, it seemed that I was a gifted salesman. I think uh, <laughs> it, it, was out of, it was probably out of just an absolute necessity, yeah. but I would go door to door and sell to my neighbors okay. everything that we could think of to sell. Combs. Yeah. Uh, there, okay. was, there was a deal there where we were sourcing these uh, combs inexpensively and we'd package them yeah. and then I would go door to door and sell them. Uh, that didn't end too well when uh, one of the neighbors up the street, I guess, got really tired of of uh, of answering the door to me, and he said, he said, he said, we have combs running out of our. And being a preacher's kid, I can't say the word. Right. Anyway, I remember running home and having this mental image in my mind: yeah. how we combs get into that part of your body, or come out of that part of your body. So that kind of ended my comb selling right there. But, but he must have bought a lot. You are a good salesman. Yeah, yeah, honestly. Yeah. That's incredible. And then I would sell greeting cards, and then I had a lawn mowing business. I would also. Uh, buy old bicycles and okay. fix them up and mm. with the I was always quite the entrepreneur I remember always being real fascinated at the bank I'd go into the bank with my mom when I was yeah. 10 11 12 years old I wind up talking to the bankers about stocks and things like <laughs> that while oh, she was wow. doing her business and I, I remember the day when I actually uh, got a loan from the bank Halton no City State Bank okay. uh, for a new Schwinn bicycle nice and I don't know if they did it just for to humor me or yeah. whatever, but I had a real coupon book. And yeah. It's like $8 a month. I'd pay on the pay or something no like that. Way. How old were you? I was probably 13 then. And then due to that flawless track record of paying <laughs> off my bicycle, yeah. uh, the same banker yeah. uh, loaned me money for a car. And then I think by the time I was 18, I co-signed for a loan for my dad. No way. <laughs> no way. Wow. So it was an interesting childhood growing up. Yeah. Perhaps my biggest entrepreneurial move was when I was 15. The last few years of my education was kind of like homeschooling, but that's a pretty fancy name for what we were actually doing. <laughs> Somehow or another, uh, through um, learning material, I managed to make it through on my own uh, and graduate from high school when I was 15. Oh, wow. I remember I took a little suit that had been loaned to me uh, or uh, given to me and um, 
uh, with my hardship license, drove myself and my mom's 67 Plymouth Fury mm. uh, to TCJC okay. and got an appointment with the president. And I convinced him to let me start the college when I was before I turned 16 years old. No way. So that was my biggest accomplishment at that point. And uh, so that's how I, I started uh, and got my two-year business degree by the time I was 18. So when I was 18, with that two-year degree, I got my real estate license. So I've been doing real estate wow. for 40 40 years. Let's just say 40 years. Wow. I had no idea that you finished high school so early. Yeah. Yeah, it was very strange. So it put me out of sync. Basically, all my days growing up, I was out of sync age-wise okay. with everybody mm. else around me. Was yeah. that weird? Like, did you feel out of place being so much younger than everyone else? Yes. Yeah? Because <laughs> I'm assuming you, it sounds like you have a really high work ethic, and so you probably weren't, and I don't want to assume... Uh, as you moved through high school so quickly and then started college and had your hardship license and were doing all these things, you were probably around adults that were doing things you were doing, but they were probably at least five years older. So you probably weren't hanging out with your buddies that were 15 when you were 15 and going to junior college. So what was that social dynamic like? Yes, that's exactly right. Socially, it was very difficult, but I also learned a lot by um, being with people that were older than me and I, I learned how to relate to people who are older than me and mm. some of my um, best friends were yeah. in that category. But uh, the downside was that it's really hard for a 16-year-old boy in college to get dates with 18 year <laughs> so that didn't work out too well. Yeah, every it's hard for, at, everything comes at a cost. <laughs> it's hard for an 18-year-old boy to get a date with an 18-year-old girl in college oftentimes, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I've been there before. Um, that's, that's fascinating. I had no idea. So, I. Growing up, one of the things that I remember most about you, because um, you, you and my dad were really close, and I always remember my dad calling you for restaurant recommendations. Like anytime that we were on the road, we're traveling around, it, we're in the like most random places. It's like, hey, we're in Ruston, Louisiana. Let me call Ronnie and see if he knows any good restaurants. Like you just happen to know where all the good stuff was. Uh, where did this love or this kind of like foodie thing come from? Um, that's a good question. And yes, me and your dad did connect on that a lot. And I loved getting his phone calls asking <laughs> me uh, where the best um, pie was in Alabama or wherever he might have been at the moment. But once again, I think it goes back quite a ways. I remember um, when I was a young, uh, just a child, six, seven years old, we'd go on family vacations and it was a 50, like a 57 red Chevy station wagon that was pretty yeah. beat up and there was like a hole in the floorboard. They had a license plate kind of covering the floor, but I would lay there in the floorboard and pull the license plate aside. That was kind of our version of video games. Uh -huh. I would watch the, <laughs> the stripes and the stuff on the road go by <laughs> underneath awesome. this little hole. But somewhere in there, I would usually uh, get hungry and look out the window and watch the, Howard, I remember Howard Johnson's. They always yeah. had, what really stood out in my mind was it was a motel and they had a cafe. Yeah. And I thought, boy, if I could ever stay at a motel, <laughs> wake up the next morning and have pancakes, that would be the dream. Yeah. That's the dream. So right in there, my dream would usually come uh, this large German hand from the front seat over to the back seat. It was my mom <laughs> handing me a piece of bread with cheese in it that was squashed together and she says, eat this. You know. <laughs> so I think it, somewhere in there instilled this longing for, yeah. for good food and uh, being that's probably what launched me into being a foodie. That's hilarious. Yeah. So one of so we've had a lot of conversations over the years about food. Like I've I've quickly adopted my dad's uh, love for calling you in you know in a bind. I'm like, yes. all right, I need a restaurant. I need to call Ronnie. One of the cities that you and I both love that is a major foodie town is Portland. If someone dropped you off in Portland for a day, 
and you had one day, where would you eat? What would you do? What would that day be like for you? Oh, goodness. That's a tough one. You would ask about Portland. <laughs> that's one of my favorite places. And to digress just a moment, I will say that with your dad, uh, I think that the stories I was telling you is what launched mine and his um we called it uh, Eat Our Way Through Texas, too. <laughs> and we'd go on trips together. Yeah. And we'd find the best barbecue places and the best German food in the hill country. Yeah. And uh, I, I, that was so much fun. But, yeah, Portland, let me think. Uh, okay, so if you're with me, um, if you were with me, we would start breakfast at Mother's. Have you been to oh, Mother's? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, the French toast. Yeah. French toast. Do you know why that French toast is so crispy? Uh-uh. They put cornflakes in the batter. Really? Yeah. It's got cornflakes. Next time you go there, okay. take, a, take a notice of that. Yeah, it's delicious. So we do that for breakfast, and then we work our way through Pine State Ooh, yeah. for a biscuit for lunch, definitely. Uh, we get the one with the um, fried chicken, uh, bacon, and cheese topped with the apple butter. Oh, the apple I think butter, it's, yeah. Uh, I think it's called the Chatfield. Yeah. We and, can just stop this episode and go right now. <laughs> oh, listen, I'm, yeah. It's I'm, incredible. I'm, yeah. Um, afternoon, definitely coffee at Coava. It's the only okay. coffee, you know how uh, Portland is so quirky. Right. It's the only coffee place I know of that not only sells the best coffee around, it's yeah. delicious. Uh, the lattes there, I love them. Um, but they also sell bamboo. So only in Portland would you find a place that processes <laughs> bamboo in the back yeah. while they're making coffee. Yeah. So that's what we do for coffee. Uh, <laughs> dinner, lots of good choices, but I think I would do Andina's in downtown in the okay. Pearl District for Peruvian food. Okay. Great Peruvian food. They even have like a South American crooner singing yeah. up front with the microphone. Oh, on no there. way. Uh, and then for dessert, uh, we would do salt and straw. Oh, you, you have ice to. Ice cream. Yeah. You have to. And I think I would get the strawberry, believe it or not. Really? I love the strawberry. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a hot take. I don't know a lot of guys that go, uh, go with strawberry. So, so Haley and I were talking yesterday because I'm currently going to school um, in Portland. And I was like, hey, this summer, when when we go, like, we need to just spend, like, a day and just, like, do it right. And so I was actually thinking, I was like, what would my answer be? And we have a lot of the same same things. I would wake up in the morning. I think I might go to, like, Blue Star Donuts. Oh, yes. Or one of, like, the donut spots. I thought about that. And then get a latte at, like, either Heart or, yes. or, or like, how do you say it? Quava? Yes, it's C-O-A-V-A. Okay. I never know if I pronounce it right, but I've come yeah, up with it's, Quava. It's so good, though. Um, and then I think we'd either go, like, hike or go to... Mm. Um, have you been to Cannon Beach, the, like, beach that's just... Oh, yes, just, I have. Is there a lighthouse there? There's, a, there's like, Haystack Rock that's, like, the big kind of okay. thing that I everyone takes photos yes. of. Beautiful. Mm. Then I think we'd come back. I would get a burger at Lardo. I don't know if you've ever been to... They have... They're, they're kind of a, like a big sandwich shop. but Yeah, the sandwiches. I've yeah. had the sandwiches there, but not the burger. Their burger is unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. Phenomenal. Uh, then, obviously, got to get another coffee round two um, at some point. But then, and you actually introduced me to this place. I think for dinner, I'd go to Ken's Artisan Pizza. Oh, yes, yes. That I is. Almost s- mentioned that place. It's yes. so, I have so good. of the meals there. Then, uh, <laughs> like, it's this cool little, like, pizza spot buried away in this neighborhood you would never know it's there oh those super are the best cool. kind of places super yeah. cool yeah. then obviously Alton Straw and then uh, I think we might finish it off at the Multnomah Whiskey Library that's like this massive uh, library of whiskeys they're like <laughs> it's unbelievable <laughs> you can get a $300 glass of whiskey there 
I've oh, never no. have, but it's like yeah. known for just like all their uh, stuff. So only in that's Portland. crazy. Yeah, only in Portland. Yeah. Only in Portland. Also, yeah. what situation are you in where you need bamboo and a cup of coffee? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you never know. You never <laughs> yeah. know. I I want to selfishly. I want to back up a little. So you knew Josh's dad. Mm-hmm. How did y'all meet, and how long were y'all friends? Yeah, so we met um, as my wife Carol uh, and I. We've been members at Birchland Baptist Church since. 1981 or so, so 40 years. So we met a lot of our friends through the Nilu Bay class. Okay. So I don't remember the exact order now, but we were in the Nilu Bay class there, and um, Jeff and Barbara were married around that time. We might have been in the class with us, so a lot of us just kind of came out of that commonality gotcha. of having just been married, and it was a great class. That's sweet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just I needed to know. Yeah, I totally. Had to ask. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Yeah, we had dinner club parties and all kind of things like that yeah. that really put us together. I remember men, uh, visiting Jeff and Barbara when he was still in the seminary, and they oh. lived in this little tiny house yeah, there at the edge, yeah. and we'd go over there and, and visit, and lots of fun. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, it was a blast. Like, the, there was a squad that kind of came out of that class. Like, I feel like a lot of people that, like, my family still knows today came out of that class. Mm, yes. I think. Yeah. Like, like didn't, like, the Mondoys yes. come out of there? Yeah. And, Lots of strong roots and yeah. good friendships that yeah. go way back to that time. That's awesome. Yeah. So. Community. community. And as usual, I was always younger than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, all, they're all way older than I am. I'm way sure older. they'll really appreciate you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Is the youngest. Here at Nowhere Close, we love sharing stories, and so do our friends at Our Spare Change. They're committed to helping you share your story through their handcrafted jewelry. On their website, you can find cuffs, bracelets, bookmarks, tie bars. All of their jewelry is committed to helping you share your story. So do that by going to OurSpareChange.com and using the promo code NOWHEREClose to get 20% off awesome jewelry that will help you share your story. As we said, you know, you and I got really close when my dad passed away. You were very present and around, and that was such a, a meaningful thing for us. And um, that was really neat for me. But then a few <laughs> years after that, you and I got to walk through a similar tra- tragedy when your own daughter passed away. Mm. I feel like just like my dad's passing really changed the trajectory of my life, I think that changed the traje- trajectory of yours as well in some really profound ways. Um Will you tell us a little bit about Christina and that story and, and really kind of what that has done? Because I feel like that's been a really monumental event that got us used in some pretty profound ways. Yeah, definitely a, a life-changing event for sure. And it's, it's, a, it's a difficult story, but um, um, kind of beauty and um, difficulty all mixed into one, if you will. Uh, first off, I love telling Christina's story, so any opportunity mm-hmm. to tell about Christina is always a good day. Yeah. And um, really the story with Christina starts when she was born. She was the oldest of our four children. The firstborn is always a special experience for sure. And I still remember um, in the um, delivery room when she was born, uh, there was like this um, hush that kind of fell over um, the room there. And I'm sure uh, Carol's story will be a little different than mine. She, she played a <laughs> quite different role. <laughs> right. But for me, it was just the most beautiful moment when they uh, wrapped little Christina in a blanket and um, put her in my arms. And uh, I looked down 
uh, at her face, and I swear she smiled when I yeah. did. Mm-hmm. And uh, for some reason, God just really moved me to uh, step out of that room. I'm not sure how that happened unnoticed, but I took Christina out of the room and into the room next door where I just um, felt very compelled to go to my knees and uh, lift Christina up and dedicate her life to God. And I never knew at that moment uh, what a, how prophetic that moment would be and how much I would remember it. Uh, 27 years later uh, when she um, passed from this earth. and In between those two um, dates, 1986 and 2013, was a whole lot of life and a whole lot of stories. Um, I always refer to it as following Christina's little magic trail. It's mm-hmm. like everywhere I followed her that uh, it was just a, a beautiful thing, uh, meeting her teachers at school and um, one little story I'll share with you that when me and her had done a lot of activities together uh, while she was two, three, four, five years old, she would go on some of my real estate appointments. And uh, in fact, um, she would go with me to uh, show homes and I would put a little, a little chair in the back of the trunk and uh, books back there. And when we would get out, I'd set her up in a little chair by the fireplace with books and she'd read while I showed the homes. And uh, to this day, I still attribute most of my sales to her uh, beautiful blue eyes and red hair and her smile. <laughs> and, then, and then we'd pack things up, get in the car, and we'd say, let's go to, if it was here in Fort Worth, it was John's Burgers, and if yeah. it was in Dallas, it was Jack's Hamburgers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we'd go in, and they knew us well, and they knew exactly how to make our burger. It was always meat, cheese, ketchup only, and a little extra seasoning on the fries. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how she liked it. And so uh, the day I had to take her to kindergarten, the first day, uh, to All Saints Episcopal School, it was a big, a big moment. And uh, so I took her to school, and when I went, went back I uh, to my office, I just put my head on my uh, desk and told the secretary to hold my calls, and I just cried. I felt like I'd lost <laughs> my best friend forever. And then uh, at noon, a few hours later, when it was time to pick up Christina from <laughs> kindergarten, I went back up there armed with the apple turnover, or perhaps it was the strawberries that she liked from the Madelines. And um, when she got in the car, I gave her her treats, and um It didn't take long to learn that this experience uh, caused her to come uh, back to me with new stories and new new adventures, and that is kind of a characteristic of the rest of her life, that what I thought was the end was really just the beginning. Mm -hmm. I wrote a little story about that on my blog about Christina. So if I told all the Christina stories that I have to tell, uh, we definitely would not have enough time. (laughs) So I'll flash forward to those college days, and uh, Christina uh, graduated from Samford University as a history major and English major and went on to Golden Gate uh, Seminary and uh, when she did that we had this great road trip from Texas mm-hmm. to Ca- San Francisco and we had some great uh, stops food stops along the way yeah. so it was fo- so much fun after our road trip to get Christina settled into her new, new dorm and see this new world that she was living in in San Francisco and it's beautiful it was my first time out there uh, actually scratch that I've been there before with Christina when she was like 15, but we had not seen that much of the city, but mm. we saw enough to really fall in love with it. Mm. So while she was there, uh, she uh, her, her degree was in uh, multicultural studies. Oh, wow. Uh, and her she loved people. And um, in fact, backing up a step, when she was in Sanford, she had uh, done mission trips around the world. She had gone to Brazil. She had studied abroad in London. Uh, during her last summer in 2007, she uh, even did a trip to India. So she had a lot of experience with traveling. We love traveling together. I still remember meeting her in, in London. It's funny, 
about food. We were talking about that a minute ago, <laughs> how food connects you with memories. I still remember in London where we ate at, and it was a noodle bowl place called Wagamama. <laughs> so it, I remember the memories there and it, it, just eating together and having fun. Um, so when Christina went to Golden Gate Seminary, um, she had also become a very passionate barista by that time. She did that job in uh, Alabama, but then learned more and was trained by Blue Bottle out in San Francisco. And um, she not only loved coffee, but she loved um, learning how the beans were grown and how they mm. were roasted. And um, she was very passionate about fair trade to farmers. So her, her, her thesis at Golden Gate Seminary was on fair trade to farmers, and she had gone to Mexico and learned a lot of their stories. And uh, it was just really amazing to follow um, her trail again and what she what she did and just always exhibiting this love and kindness and caring to others. Um, so the weekend of her graduation was really big. Not only was um, the weekend that she achieved her master's degree, but the weekend that she got married. So there was a lot going on that weekend. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was beautiful. It was uh, families only. Uh, and uh, it was a beautiful day to see her have the wedding of her dreams mm. uh, to the um, sweetest boy in the world, Jacob. Uh, she had known him since all through childhood, and uh, somewhere during the Golden Gate Seminary years, on a trip he had taken out there, they fell in love. That's the short story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was so beautiful to watch this wedding that was um, just a beautiful occasion. It's right across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. If you're going towards the Marin Headlands and mm -hmm. look out to your left, you yeah. see Plump Benita Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. That's where the wedding was at. Okay. Wow. Uh, so they stayed on out there for a year. Uh, it was a beautiful opportunity to have that first year of marriage in one of the most beautiful places in the world. After that, they moved back to Fort Worth, and uh, Christina was a barista here as she studied her um, future direction. But um, there's no words to describe when the feeling, when we realized that Christina had um, had a brain tumor. And um, There's just there's no words to describe the shock that we went through and the roller coaster ride that we went through, and there's not time to really tell that story. But what I will mm. say is that after a, almost a year of battle, um, Christina passed. And if you knew Christina and knew her vibrant life that she lived, uh, I think the first reaction anybody would have, and certainly me, was why Christina? Mm. Like mm. this doesn't make any sense. Uh, I've been a Christian all my life, had a faith in God, but this changed everything. It, it rocked. There's just no words to adequately describe the kind of shock you go through over that kind of loss. You hear about someone having cancer or disease yeah. and dying, but it's always someone else. It's not you. Mm. But it was us. And um, what I can tell you is that um, in time, God gave me a testimony that I call trust, faith, and change. And uh, at its core is um, learning to trust God in something I'll never understand. I could have spent the rest of my years being bitter and angry over Christina's passing, but um, I learned to say, Jesus, I don't understand this. I never will, but I trust you. And I really think that when we learn to trust God with what is most precious to us, that it changes our lives and how we live it. So the principle of faith helped me to realize that my uh, hope is in the future, not in the past, that Christina was not back there in the hospital where she breathed her last breath, but that she was in heaven. Mm -hmm. And in time, we would see her again. 
Hmm. You know, when we were in the hospital and we realized that Christina's days were numbered, I really had no idea what that would look like. And I couldn't even imagine living a life without her. I didn't know if I would ever taste food again, if I would ever laugh again, I would ever smile again. Uh, I knew that I was here for a purpose. And at that point, the only purpose I could think of was to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. But having a sense of joy or um, I just didn't know how that would ever take place again. But part of what that faith in the future and faith in God allowed uh, was, the, was to allow that relationship to continue. I, um, I'd never heard this before, but in books that I read, I learned that when you lose someone's earthly presence, um, the relationship doesn't end. It continues based on how you nurture and care for it. Mm. So I'm so grateful that um, the relationship with Christina continues and through the power of faith, her story lives on. Change was learning to ask myself daily, not how do I feel, but how have I changed? Mm. How have I let the pain of this loss change me into being more the person that God wants me to, to be? So one of the things that really um, changed the, the direction of my life was focusing on what Christina was passionate about. And if there was anything Christina was passionate about, it was helping others. And one of the things that she did that I was so uh, moved by was that when she was 18, first year in college, she had sponsored a little boy in India named Satish. And so she sponsored Satish from the time she was 18 and he was eight uh, for nine years until her passing at 27 and he was 17. So after Christina's passing, my wife and I decided we would take over sponsorship of mm -hmm. Satish. So at that point, I wasn't really up to making that phone call, but Carol did. Um, it's amazing what uh, you learn about um, yours and your wife's um, strengths and weaknesses, and you're so glad at that point that where one of you is weak, the other one is strong. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And um, I'm very grateful for that. None of what I have done or um, would be possible without Carol. So Carol calls Compassion International. Um, they tell her that to take over sponsorship of Satish, we need to write him a letter telling him of his sponsor's passing. So. Oh gosh. Yes, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> wow. I was like, no, I can't do that. But, uh, but Carol did. So mm. Carol wrote him a letter and uh, what we received in return was a beautiful articulate letter from Satish from India. And it just expressed that Christina was much more uh, like a mother to him than a sponsor. Mm and that she had um, very much impacted his life, encouraged him through very difficult times. And he vowed to one day sponsor a child the way she had sponsored him. Wow. So I was very touched by his letter. It was very moving. And uh, I decided I would call Compassion, tell him the story. And um, in my heart, I had this, this hope or dream that I could go to India and meet Satish. So mm. um, I, I called Compassion, told him the story, and they said, Ronnie, um, before I even had a chance to ask him, would you consider going to India and meeting <laughs> Satish and telling the story for our magazine that reaches like over a million people in circulation? Well, I, like, well immediately said, that? <laughs> yeah. I immediately said yes. And uh, at that point, anything that would allow me to tell Christina's stories, I would have said yes to. And I felt like it was something that would honor Christina and honor God. And during those days and applying the principles of trust, faith, and change to my life, I was really wanting to uh, make a change in my life and uh, Christina had always encouraged me to listen to my heart and take action mm. and so uh, I thought this was my opportunity so I told him yes and I can't say enough good things about Compassion International and the people that run that amazing organization um, funny enough a few years later I had a chance to interview the CEO Wes Stafford 
who took the country uh, took that company from a few hundred sponsorships in Korea uh, to 30 years later uh, 1.7 million sponsorships around the world wow. amazing man one of the kindest people in the world if you meet Wes you understand why compassion is what it is so the next thing you knew I was going to India a place I'd never been to before in my life of course and I met Satish and um, on the way, naturally, we have fears, and I thought, wow, what if this isn't what I thought it was, and what if it's this room of kids, and they just told them to write out these uh, letters, and they mm. sent them to mm. their sponsors, and as soon as I saw Satish, uh, all my fears subsided, and uh, um, he's just a very handsome young man with a beautiful smile, and we hugged each other, and we cried. I think both of us had this very strong realization that um, Christina's unconditional love had changed both of our lives. Mm. So there's two things that really stood out about uh, my time with Satish. One was um, uh, I never had the opportunity to ask him if he'd come to know Christ. And so there was this lull in the conversation, and uh, I had the opportunity to ask him, and he said that, uh, that yes, when he was 13, he'd asked Jesus into his heart. And when he did, he said it changed the way he saw others and changed the way he saw himself. I thought, wow, what a profound, simple but profound way to describe what happens when God comes into our hearts. Hmm. And um, the other thing that I'll always remember was a, a folder in front of us. It was like two inches thick. It had every letter. When they opened it, I, it had every letter that Christina had ever sent Satish. And oh, attached wow. to each one was his reply. So um, I would have gone to India just for that. It was like a fresh <laughs> treasure trove of Christina's writings as someone who'd, who had kept everything she had scribbled on since she was <laughs> in the kindergarten. Uh, this was wonderful. So I got to have copies and take them home with me. But um, just having that experience uh, and seeing how one girl listened to her heart, took action, changed the life of this little boy halfway around the world, changed my own life. So it was with that inspiration that I started my nonprofit, Capturing Grace, where I travel the world photographing for organizations to help orphans and people in poverty. And uh, now it's been seven years in 44 countries. And mm. um, it has definitely changed my life. Yeah. Man, that's incredible. So you know, you've traveled, as you just said, you've traveled all over the world, and I'm sure that it is really difficult to narrow down some of the highlights and some of the stories. But are there a few stories that you know st stick out as just uh, this is phenomenal that, that the Lord allowed me to experience this? Mm -hmm. Boy, after the number of countries I've been through and the stories I've heard, <laughs> that is a tough one. Um, <laughs> could just tell you to go to my blog oh yeah CapturingGrace.org. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah honestly like like all the stories are on there right yeah i'm but, going there right after this yeah. <laughs> but i can definitely answer that question you know there's certain stories that i'll never forget uh but i think the common theme is the ones where there is this unmistakable feeling that god up in heaven looks down blows a little puff of air to clear the clouds away and says Christina come over here a minute there is your dad he loves you more than he has words to say it's those moments that have changed my life yeah. and um, I remember a few of those places where those moments occurred one was uh, flying over the jungles of Guatemala in a six-passenger helicopter while making our way to tell the story of a little girl named Mary Jose, who lived back in the jungle, right outside the village of Redaldu, 
Um, another one was uh, a goat farm in Thailand, oddly enough. <laughs> that one you'll have to Google the story. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a monastery in Russia, just outside of St. Petersburg. Just amazing God moments where there, there was ever reason to believe that God was speaking to me. Mm. Uh, another was a coffee shop in India. And I could go on and on. Uh, the, those are the stories that mean the most, though, those God moments where you feel like God has revealed himself to you in a special way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's funny, those kind of moments also um, make me realize that, um, you know, going back a little bit, that when we lost Christina's earthly presence, as I call it, I have a hard time saying that she... I just can't use that word, yeah. but uh, to me it's lo losing her earthly presence because we still have her in our heart and she's still very alive in our lives. Mm. But it was back in those moments when she passed from this earth that one of the most devastating things to me was the feeling that the magic trail had ended. Mm. The little magic trail, I always called it, of following mm. Christina to, to preschool and uh, to college and all the things that I loved um, following her too. Uh, and the most miraculous thing that I never thought could happen was that instead of it ending, it feels like it's just began. Mm. I still travel with Christina. Uh, I remember buying a new suitcase on one of my first big trips, and uh, me and Christina always had this thing about suitcases, and I hated the part with the one I'd had, but I knew I needed a new one. And uh, anyway, she was just a very big part of that decision, and I felt like she was with me, guiding me, yeah. and getting the suitcase. <laughs> and uh, There's just been a lot of situations where, uh, because of the work that I'm doing, it's made me feel like that she's... Um, that we still travel together mm. and that her story lives on. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You had mentioned the coffee shop in India. I, th I think that might be one of my favorite stories uh, that we've talked about over the years. Do you mind telling that that story? Okay. Boy, that's <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> That is one of my favorites. It is a complex story, though. So there's like dates and things I have to tell you okay. that um, you kind of have to know yeah. for the story to have impact and to understand um, the miracle that lies inside this story. So it starts back in the summer of 2007. It seems like all my stories seem to go way back. <laughs> um, I apologize for that, no, no. but there's no, no brief way of telling it. So back in 2007, Christina, when she was in Sanford University, took a summer mission trip to India with several of her friends. And uh, upon returning from uh, India, her stories seemed to always center around a coffee shop she had visited there. It was a coffee shop with a purpose. Uh, that she'd experienced while traveling. Um, after Christina's earthly passing in 2013, I always had in my heart this dream of finding that coffee shop as a way of continuing that connection because I knew it was a, a, a place that was special to her. So I searched through all of Christina's photos of India, uh, but all I was able to confirm was that her travels took her through Delhi and then perhaps Pune, as one of the photos had a sign that bore the name... Um, Pune University on it. There was also a photograph of a lovely Indian girl sitting beside Christina with no clues to her city or identity. And um, I just have to say that one of the things that we never can imagine when we lose someone, mm. that what it's like not to be able to ask them questions anymore. And oh, oh my gosh. goodness, yeah. the times I wanted to text Christina and say, hey, how about this place? Or, hey. yeah. And I always would text her when I would go to coffee shops and say, hey, this coffee shop doesn't really look like they know what they're doing. What temperature are they <laughs> supposed to do it? And I'll tell them. Yeah. And so <laughs> you know, just not being able to, to con uh, yeah, connect I'm, in that I'm way. I'm pretty sure that's a Keurig in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 
I had to kind of try to figure it out. So you got to understand that India is a country over, of over 1.3 billion people. <laughs> so remember these numbers for a minute. Uh, Delhi, uh, I knew one of the cities she went to there because I saw the Taj Mahal in the background of one of her pictures, has over 18 million. <laughs> and the other town involved in this story is Pune, and that has close to 10 million people. Oh so gosh. it's a very big country with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I could talk about India for hours, but I'll, I'll hasten on. <laughs> uh, so in 2018, I returned to India for the third time and checked my messages the morning after my arrival. Well, keep in mind, I'd been to India twice before. I'd always had this dream of finding this coffee shop. But all I knew was that it was someplace in, uh, she'd gone to Delhi, had gone to Pune. I didn't really know which of those cities it would be. This is a huge country. Yeah. So I checked my messages. And on that trip, it, I was there with my youngest daughter, Carissa, and we were going to be going from south to north India all over this country and uh, India by the way is for a photographer uh, it's just the most amazing place to go the colors and the, yeah. the sounds and everything so uh, I had been there twice before again Satish and then once again 2017 and now returning in 2018 so I kind of given up on the idea of ever finding this coffee shop because I realized if you run the numbers it would have been the undo it would take several lifetimes to try to track this place down and I knew I didn't have time for that so I think you might have <laughs> so in 2018 when I went to India with Carissa uh, one of the first cities we went to the morning of our after our arrival I checked my messages and the message that caught my attention was from Uma the director of orphan outreach in India I would be meeting with Uma four or five ministries later, a week or so later, uh, for the first time in northern India uh, while photographing for his ministry that's in the mountains of Manali. So to my amazement, uh, Uma said he had been reading my blog. As Actually, I could just stop there, and that was, that was amazing enough just to find that someone had been reading my blog. But to make it more amazing, he came across, in his message to me, he said that he was reading my blog, and he came across a photo of a girl that he knew very well named Preeti sitting beside Christina in the no photo. Way. No So it's crazy because I've written like 300 blog posts since that blog post. Right. So for him to find that, just that in and of itself was right. a miracle. It's and not the, like it was it, the most recent right. one. And this is a girl that I'd always seen in this picture, yep. a lovely girl from India, and I never knew who she was. And here this fella is, my ministry partner, two or three cities later uh, that I was to meet. Uh, telling me that he had looked at my blog, saw this girl, and that it's somebody that he knows. I'd always <laughs> wondered who it was. So Uma went on to say that this that his friend Preeti now lives in Chennai. Wouldn't you know, Chennai is my next city. Again, this is a huge country. Right. Lots of cities. Yeah. And Chennai is my next city. So I'm just thinking, wow, this is this is nuts. Uh, his, he suggested that I connect with her, uh, especially since Chennai was my next stop. So long story short, my host in Chennai connected me with Preeti, had their address, phone number, uh, reached out. She said, yes, I'd love to Out of to all meet. the addresses in India, just oh, happened to just, have their address. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. And again, this is really a one-hour story, and I'm trying to cut it down under <laughs> 10 <laughs> minutes. Uh, I kind of want to hear the power <laughs> Well, there, it's on my blog. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> so, um, we found Preeti's house. That was an experience in and of itself. And just to see this beautiful girl who is now married and uh, two children, I believe. Um, sweetest little girl served me Indian snacks and tea, mm -hmm. and so we sat down and just talked together. Um, 
how long had it been between the time she took the picture with your daughter until you're meeting her? Yeah, good question. Glad you clarified that. Uh, that was on that picture was when Christina went to India in 2007. Okay. So now we're 11 years later. Wow. Long time. Yeah. And again, this ministry partner in India points out the girl from the blog. I go to her house. I mean, so many things could have happened. I, she might have been on the other side of India. I mean, right. yeah. just so many things. So it was it was just destined to be. Yeah. It's certainly what I. Just a gift. So I sat down with Preeti. I had the opportunity to ask her about her time with Christina, and she told me oh. sweet stories about her time at a coffee shop with Christina. But again, since this has been 11 years, um, she couldn't remember the name of the coffee shop, but we did get something narrowed down between Delhi and Pune. Remember how large those cities are, so I don't yep. really know if it's narrowing it down. Uh, uh, Preeti said that she had met Christina in Pune. So now we know the city, okay. and that narrowed it down to how many people were, were in a, Pune? Just a few million. Ten million like, like people. Ten, yeah, yeah. So we've got to narrow it down to ten million people. <laughs> but I really loved hearing this story, and to me, this was a major accomplishment. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, wouldn't you know that? And so this confirmed that Christine had been to Pune. Yeah. That Pretty had been there at the coffee shop and met Christina there, and wouldn't you know, Pune is my next ministry stop. Oh so the, uh, the details just keep falling right into place. So a few days later, I arrived in Pune to photograph for a ministry named Vanita Shrey, uh, ran by a dear friend of mine named Anu Salas, who I met a few years old while riding elephants together in Thailand. As you do. Another, yeah. another story. <laughs> it's on the blog. Uh, after our elephant ride, Anu had shared stories about the ministry work she does in Pune, and I told her, one day I will come there. So I honored my promise. I came there. I met a new Silas photographing for a ministry. Within a few days, I found the nerve to tell Anu, my host and close friend, uh, about my coffee shop search. <laughs> so I figured she'd laugh real big, actually. But uh, I shared the details of Christina's trip to India in 2007 and how that after my visit with Preeti, I was pretty sure that the coffee shop she loved was in Pune. This is where the story gets really hard to believe, as if the other people wasn't <laughs> yeah. already. I told Anu about the shop, and based on the vague description I provided, coffee shop with a purpose, <laughs> she says, I think I may know of the one. <laughs> so I'm just saying, oh, she's probably just being polite. Uh, however, the name coffee jar that she mentioned did sound familiar to me, and I had high hopes. But really, Pune is a city of almost 10 million people. The shop that Anu referenced had opened in 2006, which jived with the dates, and it's since spread to seven more shops. So even if this was the store that Christina frequented, I doubted seriously if I would be fortunate enough to find the exact one. So the next day, Anu was kind enough to make the journey to um, Coffee Jar, and upon entering the coffee shop with Anu, I met owner Sinny at the counter and told him about my daughter's 2007 college mission trip and incidentally, in case you haven't caught it by this time, everywhere I travel, everybody gets to hear about Christina. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I often joke that I had to start traveling outside of the U.S. to find people who had not heard Christina's yeah. stories, and that was the purpose of my yeah. travels. So I bravely asked Sini if he knew. I, I didn't dare suggest that this was the shop. So instead, as a guy who was knowledgeable of coffee, I asked uh, if he, uh, Sini if he knew of a shop that met that description. To my surprise, instead of really answering the question, Cindy asked if I had a photo of my daughter, Christina. So feeling it to be an act of futility and that he was just being kind, but I was, I was still intrigued by his interest, I provided him with a photo I'd been carrying of Christina sitting beside Preeti. 
during her time in India 11 years prior. The look on Sini's face made my heart stop mm -hmm. as he broke into this huge smile. Oh, of course I remember Christina, Sini said to me. And now here is where I need your trust as I'm not making this up. <laughs> His exact words was, and it's a term that I've been known to use a whole lot describing Christina, and it's not mm -hmm. a term you'd hear in India, but his quote was, she was special. Mm. <laughs> wow. And I knew right then this was a special encounter. Wow. I had not informed Cindy yet of Christina's passing. Tears just started streaming down my face as Cindy went home. I see 2,000 students a year pass through my shop. While they are on mission trips here in Pune, and I cannot tell you the name of a single one but for Christina. Wow. <laughs> In the brief time that Christina was here, Cindy continued, she was always asking about the ways that we use proceeds of our coffee sales to help people who sleep on the streets. Mm. Since then, we started selling coffee bags um, or bags of coffee and mugs with the proceeds going to help those in poverty. So in addition to their regular cups of coffee, they would sell bags of coffee and proceeds would help go to wow. um, help people in poverty. Christina helped inspire me to do that, Cindy said. I would not have felt any more lightheaded if God himself had appeared and told me these <laughs> stories. <laughs> to be honest, I felt God's presence in a supernatural way in this story, and it felt as though God was speaking through Cindy to deliver a message. Mm -hmm. Again, another one of those moments where it just felt like God kind of puffed at those clouds, called Christina over and said, there's your dad. Yeah. <laughs> So Cindy and I chatted and I explained Christina's story, her sponsoring of a little boy named Satish in India for nine years, her passing and my coming to India to meet Satish. Cindy shed tears of his own when he learned of Christina's passing. Cindy went on to share that he normally does not come to the store location. Oh, but today, goodness. for some reason, he felt as though he was supposed to come. In his words, he said, I now know why. Wow. wow. Yeah. So I rejoined Anu and her two daughters and my sweet Carissa at the table to catch my breath and savor this special moment. I remember just being very grateful that I was with friends that deeply understood this unusual path that God has me on. Mm. Anu and her daughter's own story was one that I had fully embraced upon hearing it in Thailand a couple years before. And I came there to tell their story, and God was just so gracious to add meaning to my own. Thanks for listening to another coffee story <laughs> no honestly that that story every time i hear it just like just statistically right, right the statistical likelihood yes that you could find the coffee shop that christina loved in india there's just no explanation right and then for the owner to be like oh my gosh yeah 100 percent, i know her um christina yeah yeah duh. just yeah it's, it's just wild I was tearing up the whole time. I oh. was just trying to be respectful, but I was I was silently crying the whole time you were telling that story. Thank you. It's a special story to me. It is. Yeah. Wow. Man, it's been really cool, um, honestly, just to see what the Lord's allowed you to do over the last, what, what has been, seven, seven years now? Seven years. Yeah. Yes, seven years. Yeah, just, I mean, because, like, I remember you and I sitting out of Boca, and even just you brainstorming the idea of, hey, you know, I've, I've done photography for a while. I'm thinking about sort of getting into this kind of humanitarian sort of, you know, niche and really just capturing 
the stories of those that are doing you know orphan care around the world and they just I feel like it even seemed like in your mind it seemed a little far-fetched to actually do it and just yeah. the mm-hmm. doors that God has opened to literally fly you all around the world has just been unbelievable yeah perhaps of all the most amazing things about these stories is the fact that I absolutely know it's nothing I could have done on my own that there are so many places that are like what I call like little altars, like in the Old Testament, mm. where you look at this moment and it keeps you going. And it's a moment where that God met you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And while every day doesn't look like that and there's discouragement, uh, you can look back at these moments and say, God spoke to me at that time. And God has me on a path and he's got a plan for my life and a purpose. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for being a part of that path. Josh, oh, my gosh, and Encouraging man. me all the way. Mm. Absolutely. It's been a joy. <laughs> Have you ever loved something that didn't love you back? Pretty much every woman I tried to date in my 20s. Ooh, that got personal real quick. <laughs> it did, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about our friends at Golden Ratio Coffee. Oh, thank goodness. And if you love coffee, but it doesn't love you back, Golden Ratio is actually the perfect solution. It's honestly amazing. They roast their beans at a lower temperature to create a smooth coffee that is golden in color and five times less acidic. All the caffeine of coffee without the acidity. We love that. And it's more aesthetically pleasing because it's gold. It is. Right now, they have a really fun selection of seasonal flavors like spiced cookie, chocolate mint, and even pumpkin spice for our PSL lovers out there. We're obsessed. And here's the best part. If you go to drinkgoldenratio.com and use code NOWHEREClose, you'll get 20% off your purchase. And that's that's basically free. Basically free. So again, that is drinkgoldenratio.com and use promo code NOWHEREClose to get 20% off your purchase. Before we close, can we ask you some fun random questions you bet <laughs> so one of the things that i want to ask you specifically is you have a profound ability to find a good latte anywhere in the world like the number <laughs> of times that you've been like yeah i was in the middle of the congo and i found this latte spot it's like what where huh uh in your experience who do you think has the best latte in the world hmm I do find coffee shops everywhere wherever I go, and Ethiopia's got some great coffee and yeah. all these places, but it's really a no-brainer to answer the question with a few blocks from my house, a magnolia is a Voca, and it's my favorite, <laughs> it's my go-to latte. Yeah. 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 Not just because Christina used to work there, but, but they make the best coffee. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> do you have any, what we call, at Nowhere Close to Famous, we call it oddly specific love languages. So things that make you feel uniquely loved. What are those for you? Oh, I think along the, the textbook answer would be more like, um, you know, uh, affirmations, definitely little love, love mm-hmm. languages. But a good friend to- told me recently, and I, I, when she said it, I was glad it made me realize that she knew me really well. She said that food is my love language. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> so I don't know if food can be a love language, but it, it, if it yeah. can be, that's mine. What's your most recent, like, favorite restaurant in town? Mm. Oh, um, actually, uh, Wishbone in Flint. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really good. We're uh, actually supposed to go there for Haley's graduation, so okay. I'm excited to try it. Yeah, very. Oh, I love the farmhouse salad. Oh, okay. so good. All the textures and flavors, and yeah, okay. good stuff. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is the guy that you ask I, for. Tomorrow night, you're going to see me at Wishbone with Flint. I'm going to have a salad. <laughs> Another story about Ronnie is I went to San Francisco, I don't know, a long t- 
time ago. I actually went for a Justin Timberlake Jay Z concert. It was unbelievable. But while I was there, <laughs> I was like, Ronnie, I need to know the best places. And for three days, we ate our way through San Francisco on Ronnie's like recommendations. Oh, it was that's awesome. Fascinating. We had like Dynamo Donuts. We had oh, Byrat Creamery. Donuts. Uh, it's the best. Yeah. Uh, Pizzeria Delfina over yes. the mission. It was just, oh, I mean, yes. all these things that was I've, I've been to San Francisco once, and so when you mentioned it, I immediately wanted to pick your brain because I want to go oh, back. Yes. It's one of my oh, favorite cities I've been to. Yes. And all we did while we were there was eat. Oh, it's um, we, I was on a cross-country trip with some of my friends. We did it right after college, mm. and we literally drove my little Honda Accord from Mississippi all the way out to the West Coast and then all the way from top to bottom. And so we stopped <laughs> in San Francisco for a few nights. And all we did while we were there was eat. And it oh was some of the goodness. best food I've ever yeah. had. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Before a melt ice cream came along, Byright was my favorite. Right oh. there across from Dolores Park. So good. And they always have this line. Half the fun is just the craziness of the line and the people who are in it. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, um, yeah, my favorite. Yeah, I had the most dreamy afternoon there, actually. <laughs> we When we got ice cream there, and then we went across to Dolores Park. And I remember we're, like, sitting there, just eating ice cream, looking out at the city, incredible and there's a girl in this undress walks up with a picnic basket and like pigtails and was, I mean, just looked as sweet as can be and goes, hi. We're like, hey, what's up? And she was like, do you guys want some brownies? And we're like, no. Uh, she was like, and she was like, like brownies and like give us a wink. We're like, <laughs> oh, no. oh, no, we're okay. She was like, oh my gosh, yeah, great. All right, see ya. Have an amazing day. And I was like, that's the and nicest. she vanished into thin <laughs> yeah. air. I was like, that's the nicest drug dealer I've ever met in my life. Like that was... I, in broad daylight. Yeah, too. yeah. I love this place. Yeah, only in Dolores Park. Yeah, it's oh, awesome. That's um, fascinating. Um, what is your go-to story to tell at parties? And I'm sure you have a oh, a million stories now. But yeah. you're like at a party. There's a lull in conversation. You're like, all right, I need to like spice this wow. thing up. What's your go- go-to story? Okay, it's a toss-up depending on my audience between okay. uh, the uh, <laughs> the desert abduction. Uh, oh my in, gosh! In, <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean, in Jordan. Okay. Uh, for sure. Uh, and wait a second. I was hiking seven days through the desert from. Uh, um, <laughs> you you honestly need to just tell it because <laughs> it's, a, tell it's it, an Ronnie. amazing story. Oh, it's too much. Oh my goodness! But it's from from I was hiking like eight miles a day, 50, 50 miles or so over a week, um, from Dana to Petra. You know what Petra, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. The yep. Um, I only understand yeah. it because you reference Raiders okay, of the Lost Ark. So yeah, yeah, most people get it when they, when they think of that. We came in the back door, Petra, because we've been hiking through the desert for like seven days. So that What was compels amazing... one to hike through the desert? Oh, that was my dream come true. Okay. I always, and I did it with a, a better one. So we, I guess we might as well. I can tell you. I'll you should you just the, tell no, it, Ronnie. Honestly, the briefest version. So, um, so interestingly enough, my time in Jordan came after uh, time in Thailand and then Sri Lanka. And then Israel, uh, all these places I was photographing for organizations who um, are helping children, people in poverty. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Jordan. So at the end of my time in Jordan, uh, in fact, there was amazing stories there about refugees. Um, Wow, too many stories. Uh, At the end of my time there, I wanted to do a little adventure. And I've always heard about the Bedouins and their lifestyle in the desert where they live in tents and caves. And there's a lot of guides who make themselves out to be Bedouins, but they're really not. They're from Amman, and they get trained there, and they go down there, and they put the clothing on, and they act like they're Bedouins, but they're really not. So I tapped into a lot of resources and tracked down a lot of things till I found a genuine Bedouin who was born and raised in that area and knew the whole area. So 
super excited about this trip, hiking seven days to the desert. My daughter Carissa was actually supposed to join me. And then like one week before the time, she had an issue in college. Oh. A plane ticket had been purchased, everything, but it didn't work out. So she couldn't come. So I was doing it on my own. So after several different drivers and uh, dilapidated vehicles that got more and more dilapidated, <laughs> I found myself in the desert in Fena uh, at the pickup point for my guide. So when you know, the guide that I had handpicked um, there had been a miscommunication and he wasn't there the first day. So a substitute guide came in and I could tell the substitute wasn't quite up to speed. We didn't really have <laughs> enough water. We had hiked uh, seven days, which that's not walking seven days. It's in the mountains, in the desert, sand. Uh, so it was a long day, not quite enough water. We had never seen a car vehicle the whole way. There, we're on trails, but there is a, a road we crossed once right before we got to our destination that night. And at that road, a fellow in a pickup picked us up, took us to our campsite for the night, and um, we were exhausted. So the fellow said, why don't you rest? Maybe go take pictures of the sunset. Um, we are waiting on a truck that's going to bring a chef. Um, I'm not sure if he used the term chef. Mm. A cook. <laughs> I was just... Um, <laughs> I feel like that's an important detail. <laughs> so he said... We're, if he had said uh, chef, this would not be a story. Yeah, yeah. So he said... Uh, in, this little place was like a, uh, not what I was expecting. It was not a Bedouin tent. It was not a cave. It was like a cement structure. And I was a little disappointed with this. And he could see that I was. But he said, there's a bad storm coming in. And so we're, we're staying here instead. And I felt like I've been with fishing guides a lot. And I heard all the stories. And it's always a reason or excuse. So I didn't really yeah. put a lot of stock in his reason. So I was a little frustrated. But he said, go take a walk. Uh, fixing to have the sunset. Um, and there's a beautiful, we're up in the mountains. And there's a beautiful um, overlook there. And it was maybe a mile away. And, of course, we have been walking all day long. And what obsessed me to, or what possessed me to go and walk, take another walk, I don't know. But um, I walked over there um, um, to take pictures. And he said I shouldn't be gone long because there was a storm coming. So along the way, the wind picked up. And it got stronger and stronger. In fact, I had this little video I made. The video is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've never seen wind like this in my life. I'm basically aiming it myself, and you can see the wind. It looks like somebody falling, uh, like parachuting, where their cheeks are being pushed back and their and their uh, no, and jacket. No, and just walking. And I'm, I'm just leaning into the wind. I feel <laughs> like it was going to take me over the cliff. So I was super exhausted by this time. And uh, before I'd left um, to go do this walk, he had told me that there was a pickup coming with a cook, and some bottles of water because we were out of water. So keep that thought in mind for a second. So while I'm at this overlook, the wind dies down. I'm taking pictures. I hear the sound of a pickup, first one, second one we've seen all day. And it comes to a stop. And they see me. I see them. Uh, I just assume it's the pickup. So I go out there, walk around the front, um, open the back door of the pickup, and see the bottles of water, Everything looks exactly like what I was expecting. I get inside. Uh, they take off. And I say a few words, but they obviously don't speak my language. And they just smiled. And uh, there was this loud uh, Middle Eastern music playing on the radio. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I, I'm exhausted. So I put my AirPods in, uh, lean back my head against the window, and the vehicle takes off. So I'm listening to the song, and I, I zone <laughs> out. And then the song comes to an end. And I, all of a sudden it dawned on me, like several things dawned on me at once, like at the mm -hmm. same time. That song was about seven minutes long. Camp should have been two minutes. And right along there, I wheel around, look out the back window, 
and where I was standing at taking the pictures was now distant in the past. Sun was setting, it's getting dark, and suddenly it hits me. These people are definitely not way past camp. This I just stepped into this vehicle. I did not ask any questions. They didn't say anything. I'm not in the right, the right vehicle. And I wasn't even supposed to get in any vehicle, <laughs> for that matter. So all these things are happening at once. I look over at my backpack, which has, you know, $10,000 worth of gear in it. I'm packing an iPhone 12 that stands out like a thumb, and I see the guy uh, sticks out like a sore thumb. I see the guy up front kind of nudge the driver, point at my phone. I thought, oh, my goodness, they are going to take my stuff and dump me here in the desert. So and there's no phone service out here at all. But we were going up the mountains. We were heading towards a peak. I looked down at my phone, couldn't believe it. There's like one or two bars. I pick it up. I actually have, um, I had my, my guide who I've been working with all this time, the, the main guy that was supposed to meet me, the Bedouin, um, who's super knowledgeable, by the way. He not only was born and raised in this area and does guides, but he'd also lived in Germany. Um, amazing guy, amazing story. So I hit the button to call him. Amazingly, he answers. And... Um, I said, I am so sorry. This is Ronnie Mosley. I got into a vehicle. They don't speak my language. I don't think I'm, I'm with the right people. Could you talk to them? So I hand the phone to the guy up front. The conversation starts escalating louder and louder. I could tell this was not a normal conversation. Finally, hands the phone back to me. And I say, well, that Actually, was kind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my guy. You didn't have to do that. <laughs> my guy. polite abduction. <laughs> my guy uh, is on the phone, of course, and he says, why you get in that vehicle? That's very, very dangerous. Don't ever do that again. They take you back to camp now. And he hangs up. So no more words were exchanged. They get me back to camp. They drop me out. As if it never happened. To this happened. day, I don't know what kind of high-level negotiation uh, took place, whether I was traded for a goat or whether he had <laughs> yeah. saved my life or, or if it was just a misunderstanding, but it, it sure had the feel of like a crazy Middle Eastern movie, you know? Yeah. So I definitely got my adventure. So now out of the vehicle, back into the little cement structure, I was never so happy to be home. <laughs> yeah, I can and imagine. now I was not upset at all about the absence of the tent or the Bedouin cave and a meal was being made and uh, I was just glad to be there. And the next day, the main guide showed up. And from there, it was an amazing six-day adventure through the desert with this man uh, who was so knowledgeable. And, this man who saved, who saved your life as saved far my as I'm life. concerned. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like a, uh, I think I wrote in my blog that if, if, if walking with him through the desert was like walking through the streets of New York with uh, Billy Joel. Everybody who passed <laughs> in the New him, he yeah. knew everybody. And he connected me with, um, he, we had stops and had tea with like his uncle and different people that were in caves and tents. And he slept in some amazing places and came through the back door of Petra. That's unbelievable. With wow. my new friend. Yeah. The piano man. <laughs> <laughs> the piano man of Georgia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Title. <laughs> but when you ask me my go-to stories, it was a cross between that or the gorilla story. And I oh. promise I'm not going to tell that story. Okay. But it was I, in DR Congo, oh the jungle, we silverback need, gorilla, 300 pounds. We need to do a part right two. Because that's because that was a story that I almost, I almost thought about he making you tell. He told me you had a gorilla story Because Brooke also has a gorilla story. Oh. I have a chimpanzee story. Okay. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Let's not get our yeah, primates confused. Okay. Uh, it's very real for me. <laughs> but uh, on part two, y'all can swap okay. primate swap stories. Primate I'm stories. Yeah, okay. Last question. Uh, <laughs> this podcast is called Nowhere Close to Famous, obviously. Hmm. But if you could be famous for one thing, what would that be? 
Mm. Oh my goodness. Um, I think it might be a split of two things. We'll merge them into one, but uh, it's, it's two things that Christina did really well. And that was uh, unconditional love and fighting for justice. Mm. If mm. I was to be remembered for something, it would be, I would, I would want it to be that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think you are well on your way. I think so too. <laughs> what it's worth. Mm. Ronnie, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking yeah. to us and telling us your story and and I'm excited for people to hear. This mm. meant a ton to have you, so thanks oh. for giving us your time and sharing so vulnerably and talking about Christina and just the way you talk about her and the way you look when you talk about her. I was tearing up the whole time, oh. so for the <laughs> listeners, if you're crying, that's totally fine. I was doing it. I'm just off mic. <laughs> but thank you so much. Well, I want you to be my new coffee chat friend at Avoca. There we go. That is my oddly specific love language, so I will be there. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. It was really great to be here. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Ronnie Mosley. And if you did, we have many more coming your way just like that. So make sure that you hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And another fun way to keep up with us is to follow us on Instagram. And you can find us at Nowhere Close to Famous Pod. That's right. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Stay ordinary.